0: Due to the limited resources of the oomphness. Did you get any candy? No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm going to save that. Did you give Steph her gummies? Yes, I did. Does she really like them? Yes, yeah, she does. Because I, I get those free when, for some reason, occasionally. So. Yeah, you know, she likes them. When do free? Yeah, at the candy store, you know. Well, you haven't been there. It's called Lolly and Pops. Oh, well, you buy a lot of stuff. No, <laughs> it's easy there. to buy a lot of stuff in this store I bought $14 today okay. for you And then I, I bought Christmas presents That was maybe $50 there And that's it It's a unique candy store, no doubt it, It's really I haven't seen anything like that Even like a Disney, have you? Nothing that thorough mm-hmm. So today, yeah, we're going to skip Luke This week So bad, too bad Luke. And then next week, we'll get back to Luke Lord willing So yeah, I I pulled up this lesson quickly to do. It's an important one. We need to all be reminded of this constantly. Priorities, (laughs) priorities, and we'll go to scriptures to talk about priorities and how serious the Lord takes priorities amongst His children and the consequences of not having the right priorities. All right. So the problem. Can be often so we'll read. I pulled up Haggai chapter one verses two through eleven. Never heard of that. Haggai is the Old Testament book. I'm not sure exactly where it's at. Not that long of a book. Zechariah Malachi. I don't know. I don't have the. I have the New Testament books memorized in order, but I don't have the Old Testament. But it's not hard to find. That guy would be. A person? Yeah, he was a prophet to Israel. He's one. Of, I think he's referred to as one of the minor prophets. Not, but any prophet to me is a major prophet because the Lord spoke to him. But the. What does a prophet actually mean? Well, we talked about that a little bit with John the Baptist. Was the last right. so-called prophet? Is it? When we talk about it in terms of that a prophet from God to Israel to speak to Israel. Of course I can't find it right now. Haggai is. Yeah, third second, third to last book of the right, Dad. For third to last book of the Old Testament. There's Malachi's the last, Zechariah, and then Haggai. <clears throat> He's got a good brain. I mean you can't. Yeah. Up there. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. It check be up it there. and see. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that blows my mind. If the keys aren't up there, they're lost. Did you learn that in college? or I mean, we what? He's always had a. Some memories of the books of the Bible, then. Of course, probably a catechism. You probably had to yeah. do a Lutheran cate- catechism. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, I never had the, the confirmation or any of that. I don't know why. I can't remember, but Derek did. I remember seeing pictures of Derek and John Schneider at at St. Mark's. So they had some kind of a confirmation, but I never did go through it. And I don't necessarily think it's a required thing biblically. But anyway, different subject. All right, so we're in Haggai, chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. And thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, talking about the Jews, Israel, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai by Haggai the prophet, saying, it is, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, and no one, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, While each of you runs to his own house, therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its due, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and all the labor of your hands. So That's pretty straightforward. And you see the the problem with the Israelites. We're we're talking specifically here about the temple lies desolate. The house of the Lord has not been rebuilt, and yet the people are have had plenty of time and resources to make their own houses right. You see that in verse three, where it says, "Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses?" So they've had time to put up paneling in their houses. But his house, the temple, lie, lied, laid desolate. And so you can see the priority here was on their own personal lives and not on the, life, not on the glory of the Lord. Let's check something out here. I'm trying to figure out the exact timeline of what we're dealing with here. Okay, yeah, we're. T- I thought we were talking about the start of the second temple, and so selfish indulgence revealed by the prophets' r- rhetorical query demonstrated their hypocrisy and misplaced priorities. Walls and ceilings overlaid with cedar were common in wealthy residences. So this is talking about the the time was had passed for the beginning of the for the the beginning to, of the, to rebuild the second temple, but the people were so. Their priority was not on the house of the Lord, rebuilding the temple, but it was on their own individual houses. And so that's always the struggle with any believer in Christ is that our priorities, our 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 lives can become consumed with our own personal and of course what comes to mind is when Jesus told the apostles that he was going to be crucified, and Peter jumped up and said May it never be. And then Jesus responded to him saying, Get behind me, Satan, for your, your um, intentions or your considerations are not for the glory of God, but for the glory of men. Peter was more worried about their temporal. He wasn't worried about Jesus dying. He wasn't worried about the glory of God. He was worried about what's going to happen to us if something happens to you. And so he was, he was concerned about his own personal, it was selfishness. And that's what this is. This is selfishness by the Israelites where they're more concerned about themselves, their individual dwelling places, than the temple of the Lord. And so God's response to that is always the same. And you can even see that in the, in the verses in Haggai where, and if you do, if, if we as Christians, if we put other things before the Lord long enough, this starts to happen to you. Where you, you sow and you, you harvest, um, that whatever eventually whatever you're doing, does, it ceases to satisfy you. And so when you get into things that are more important than the Lord, anytime you put anything in your life that is above Him, it's idolatry. And there's a short-term, temporary satisfaction to that to any sin. There's a short-term, temporary satisfaction, but ultimately, the more you chase it, the more you develop it, it becomes empty and vain. And then you're, and that's how sin is: is you continuously need more and more and more. And so it doesn't satisfy; it stops satisfying you. you only satisfies. That's how sin always is: deceitful and satisfies you very, very briefly, and then you need more, and more, and more. And that's where verse six picks up, where it says, "You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat." but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And so you see the just the no matter what you do, he is and he's doing this. He causes your work to be unsatisfactory. He'll put a curse on your work in a sense. And and you see so he says in verse seven. So your response should be: go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, so that it might, so that he may I may be pleased with the Lord, and be glorified. And then he and then the same lesson is repeated. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. So you go out there and you harvest a whole bunch. You're like, all right, I'm going to serve myself, serve myself, serve myself. And eventually, you start to bring it home, and guess what happens? He just blows it away. And so, if we if we become materialistic, that's one of the biggest temptations in this country. Is when you're you're constantly, it's the temptation is to is to get more stuff, and it's always there. But eventually, he'll he will begin to act in judgment on upon that, and you'll and this. For example, with me, whenever I get selfish and start to think, all right, I can't really be generous with my money because well, I've got to get this, this, and this. And the stuff that you don't really need. You can you convince yourself you need anything. You know, we're not legalists here. We don't say that you can't enjoy there's God wants us to enjoy things, but there's a line that easily gets crossed into covetousness and greed. And ultimately he will begin to just blow it away. And he'll be just everything you're doing, he becomes if if the Lord sets his hand against you and your activities you have no hope. <laughs> that's, that's how it is. If he's if you can be good under his chastening, it's for your own good. So it's a good thing that you can't win against him because you wouldn't want to win against him because he knows what's better for you. And get trust me, he will not win against him. You know, I've said that to many people when you know, if I sense that and I speak from direct personal ongoing experience that that when the Lord is against you as a as a believer, just repent. You just don't don't battle. Yeah. But the struggle is the the thing about idolatry and materialism or anything else it is, is you get wound up in it. You get sin binds you and so you're usually your first reaction when the Lord rebukes you for something is to grab onto your idol. You're like, Ooh I don't want to let that go. It's just an impulse. And the more you're wound the more you're bound in different sins the harder it is to kind of get unwound from that, and so the faster you can learn to repent and say, "All right, my mind is not, my focus is not upon the Lord. My focus is upon whatever it is." You could have, you could have hundreds, if not thousands, of idols in your in your heart and in your life, and, and the scary thing is a lot of them you don't even know about. The Lord does this to me all the time that I honestly think I am, and not. I'm, I know I'm never idol free because it's almost impossible. But I'm like, I really believe that I'm really efforting, and there's something in there I don't know about. And then he'll cause a situation to happen where I'll, I'll you know, it causes some stress. And what do I go grab to? That's where your idol is. He'll, he'll bring intensity into your life to show you where you, re- what you reach out to for help. And usually, it's not him first. It's something else. You're like, oh no, whatever. It could be a person, or it could be a thing, or it could be a comfort, or it could be a food, or it could be, you name it. There's all kinds of different things you can turn to when anxiety comes or when stress comes. And he's showing you, there's your idol. And so it's it's a tough thing. It's a tough battle. But what you always have to remember, I think, is that you just have to, and the longer you're a Christian, the more you experience his his grace and his him working through you, the more you get it ingrained in your mind what a futile, what a, Waste of time. Most yeah. things are, and we talk about this all the time. But it's not necessarily sin. everything's not sin. In a, it can become anything can become idolatry. Innocent things can become idolatry. I mean, healthy relationships. If I put Gracie over the Lord, if I'm more care, if I'm more concerned with Grace than I am the Lord, then obviously Grace is my daughter and a gift from the Lord, but she comes an idol. And so it's a sin to have that attitude. So it, it so it doesn't, you would think of idolatry. A lot of times you think of either the wooden statues or addictions or things that are immoral, of sex or whatever it is that are wicked. But anything, even innocent and good, that is righteous to be, it's righteous for me, it's calling for me to be a godly parent. But if I put her over the Lord, it becomes idolatry. Or if I put pastor or anybody, you know, that's one of the temptations in the church is. For people to become more enamored with the pastor or the leadership of the church than the Lord, and that's wickedness. Mm-hmm. And the Lord will. How come you say here? Consider asterisks and asterisk your witness? Huh? How come you say in here? Consider asterisks and asterisk witness? I don't know that. That I, you know, I pull that down off of a biblical thing. Uh-huh. It's a biblical website, and that's how it pulls down. Because in this Here's way, that. I don't have to retype it. Yeah, I don't know why they put those asterisks there. Yeah, is that what it says? No asterisk, asterisk, uh, Yeah, that's just it's a NASB. It's an online thing, and so instead of me having to type it all in, it's way easier. But every now and then, it pulls that up. It might be something to do with there's a. I think it's connected to a, an accordance, and so maybe there's something there with the Can accordance. The what? An accordance. Okay. It's a website that I. It took me a long time to find one that I could just highlight, copy. And paste onto my things instead of I used to all those first lessons I literally would take this and type it all out, oh, which was good, probably good for me because it kept it in my mind. But this goes a lot faster. But that that pulls up the asterisks. I don't know why it does not It's that. an idol. <laughs> yeah, I know, all right? It is. Could be. All right. Let's see what. Well, where is that? That's verse first five. Yeah. I guess there's a B here, so it's probably. There's probably something there. Um, I don't know why there's a B there. And do you have that on yours? What? Mine has next to bike? consider, it has B. I, this must be the strongest concordance. I don't know what it stands what there is. So I bet you next to wage. It says consider your wage. Oh, oh a B, wait, man, here. let okay. here. But either way. Back to our lesson. So yes, idols can be hidden, or idols can be. You can know a lot of times when the Lord begins to work on me again, chasing me. I could. I know exactly what's going on. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm like I don't know, but He'll show it to you. But just always remember. I know, and it's and it's it's. You always got to remember. And the longer you're you're a Christian, the more mature you become. Then you re- you realize He knows what He's doing. And it's good for us but he will not tolerate second he will not tolerate second status the Lord will not and so if, if your life if our lives are living for something else above him there will be consequences he, do, he doesn't let us get away with that and so that's what's going on here as the Israelites are more concerned with their own personal lives than the lives of the Lord and in particular the temple they've spent plenty of time handling their houses and. He had paneled houses back then. That was the luxury. And so it shows that they had plenty of time to make their houses luxurious while the temple of the Lord laid desolate. And so... And so... But, but the consequences you see there clearly. When, when that happens long enough, he'll begin to affect your life in a way that's negative so that your idols become worthless. And we'll get to that here in a minute. And so... And you see there... It's not just these things are happening out of randomness. But you see in verse nine, or verse 9 and on, it says, Because of my house which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Again, the same message there. Therefore, because of you, the sky has been withheld its due. He's doing this. And the earth has withheld its produce. Verse 11, I called for a drought on the land. So the Lord is doing this. He's doing the chastening work here. And that's the way it always works. And, even, and the labor of your hands. You know, there's so many times when I get wrapped up in, in uh, whatever. And, and again, a lot of times now, since I've been through the horrific backslide and the horrific chastening, I don't want to go through that again. I'm always aware of that. And so I never slip into that kind of gross sin anymore. I don't, I, Lord willing, it never will. But... And so a lot of times it's just I'm trying to do spiritual things, but I'm trying to do it without Him. You know, I'm trying to do good things, but then my excuses. I, you know, I know my mind's not on You. I know my heart's not. I'm not praying to You again. I always say this: if you're not praying, there's your there's your red flag. If you're not praying, that means you're doing it on your own, whatever you're doing. And there's one of two reasons: either you're you got idolatry that you know of, and that's going to cause you not to pray. That you're, and that means you're just your priorities are off, or you're actually trying to serve the Lord, but you're doing it by your own power. You're like, okay, Lord, I know I'm doing I'm doing you a favor here, so I'll just you know you. But you're not praying, and so it shows your lack of dependence. So those are, so the red flag of your priority being off to me is always prayer. And I mean, if I go a couple days where I'm just like, just mouthing a couple prayers, but then my heart is just not even not even interested. I it's really I try and say, okay, there's where's the issue at here? Where's the issue at? so he will do that and then so then uh, the god's response there in psalm 39 you already saw god's response in haggai chapter 1 verses 2 through 11 but in psalm 39:11 his response is the next three sections i have here i pulled up psalm 39:11 with reproofs you chase a man for iniquity you consume as a moth what is precious to him surely every man is a mere breath so especially that middle part where it says I always find that as a very clear passage to understand that if something if and this is to a believer, if you have if you put something in front of him, watch what he does to it. What is precious to you, he will he will destroy it. God does not he does not compete with himself. And so if you have something now I'm not saying that if like I said, if Gracie becomes he's not gonna Destroy or anything like that, but he will destroy. He'll he'll make sure that relationship is damaged enough to where I realize I hey, go with the Lord first and then raising Gracie instead of trying to raise Gracie without without the Lord or whatever it is. Does it yeah. mean surely every man is a mere breath? As, uh, you just got to realize how short your life is. And it's a priority thing. And so a lot of times whenever you talk about the the grass will wither, the flowers will fade and these things where you it talks about we are like we're like grass that withers with the sun it's, it's it's the emphasis is on realize how brief your life is. And so that is a focus to realize. Not here. Yeah, yeah, it is. We talk about I could have even just not included that part cuz it probably moved on to a new point but The point I was trying to make here is that first part with reproofs, that's chastening. He chastens, them. he only chastens his own. Talking about chastening, he doesn't chasten unbelievers. I mean, they're under the wrath and they have consequences for sin, but, but for an unbeliever, the wrath of God and the consequences of sin is not rehabilitative. It is only punitive, even now. It doesn't help them. Now, when you become a believer... Then the tough things and the things in your life that God brings along is for, it's for correction. There's a purpose in it. Now, of course, we pray that somebody like before I was saved, the things in my life, the rampant sin I had was just consequence consequences, and I suffered a lot, and I still suffer a lot of the consequences from my sin that I had before I was a believer. But there was no purpose in it when I was an unbeliever. But once you become a believer then the tough things in your life and when you sin and you get corrected it's for your good and that's why i always say with uh that's one one reason why hell eternal torment for people who die in their sin it's not rehabilitative. there's no purpose in in rehabilitation in, in hell it's only punitive there's there and so there's no repentance in hell there's no turning it's just punishment and that's how and that's how it is with I mean with 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 a believer now my point here is I'm trying to make with that the chastening and the reproofs and the trials and the in the in the things that he comes brings into your life that are really hard he has a good purpose for it they're corrective where for an unbeliever they're just they're just they're suffering consequences of their sin, and it's not necessarily corrective. Now, I should say this on a side point that when I said that all those things in my past before I was saved that they were only they were punitive temporarily, but I, but I still look back and I realize you got to realize that even before I was saved, I was elect. He elected me before the foundational world, but I hadn't been saved yet. So, in a sense, I think the things that were in my life even before I was saved were. I guess you could say were purposeful in the sense that he was gonna use them later on in my life, but they didn't really start applying and start taking effect until after I believed. But up until then, I saw no, no purpose in anything. But now I can see it. But the point here in Psalm 39 is that when you put something above the Lord as a believer, He will, he will wipe out, He will see to it that that becomes futile to you like if you prop somebody up in your mind too much, watch what the Lord will do. He'll, he'll expose you to their warts, you know. And that's why I say, don't ever prop me up in your mind too much because I know what will happen. He'll he'll show you that I'm not what you think I am if you're elevating me in your mind or anybody. And it's easy to do. Like we always talk about with MacArthur, I do have such an admiration for him. But I always guard that knowing that, A, anything that he has accomplished is a mercy of the Lord, and he knows it. And B, that you just have to not focus on, you, you f- make sure you're focusing on the Lord that MacArthur is teaching and not on MacArthur teaching. That's, and that can be tricky sometimes. It's just easy to get enthralled with a man who is very good at teaching the Bible. And you've got to guard that. That's just another way that you can prop up, at least maybe that's a struggle I have, that I have to constantly make sure that when I'm listening to a sermon, I'm not listening to see how good the preacher is. Right. I'm listening for the yeah, Lord. It, no, I know. It's a struggle. And you do. And you come yeah, away thinking. bad if you don't carry it too far. Right. But you always want to realize that it's not him. Right. It's a gift from the Lord. The Lord has used him. The Lord has given him everything. He saved MacArthur sometime. I think he was saved young. So if he never would have got saved, he never would have been behind the pulpit. He would have been a God hater his whole life. Mm-hmm. And he knows it. And then, on top of that, after he got saved, the gifts he has for preaching, and he obviously has been gifted. There's no doubt about that. One of the most gifted men I've ever seen when it comes to, to understanding the text and teaching the text in a calm, methodical manner. I love it. And I say that I don't because I recommend him to everybody. But those gifts are given by God. And so you always got to realize you want to praise the Lord for what he's doing, you don't praise John MacArthur for what he's doing. And that's a temptation for anybody. You know, especially for a Christian, because there are a lot of good teachers out there, and um, and you know, another point is that the, the in this day and age, and I, I struggle from this probably more than anybody, or or as much as anybody, is that with the YouTube and all the, the stuff you, can, all the great teaching you can get, that God primarily has set it up that you get your primary feeding from your local pastor in your local church. And so there's a struggle there. Now, I think there's a gift and a blessing that you can get really good theology. And I thank the Lord for MacArthur and that I really have learned so much. It would have been a struggle without him. But he still has, you know, before the internet came along, you got your, and you look at the book of Acts where you got your training and your teaching from your local church. And that's... You mean, I as a Christian? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except the internet. the internet came along. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I it on I was here, right? You are distractive sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you are. I as far as I go. All right, but usually, yes. but I was like, what, what? Weird there. So we got to guard that, and that's where you know the whatever you know the, the local church is where we are to be mostly involved as our Christian walk. But that's that's not just me It's anybody because there's so many resources now, and they call them parachurch organizations where they come alongside the church like even MacArthur's Grace to You is a parachurch organization where they, they're there to edify believers who belong to other local churches not just the ones in Grace Community Church in California and I think that's a blessing but it can become then a lot of people do they spend more time especially there's a lot of people who and I used to do this when I took about a two-year break from any local involved church, with you know, I I would listen to sermons on Sunday morning. But I thought, well, Lord, I'm getting good theology here. And that's just not the way he set it up. Not the way he set it up. All right, Zechariah chapter seven, verses twelve through fourteen. They made their hearts like flint, so they could not hear the law, and the words which the Lord of Hosts had sent by His Spirit through the former province, Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Verse 13, and just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a storm wind among all the nations whom they have not known. Thus the land is desolated behind them so that no one went back and forth for they made the pleasant land desolate. The reason I underlined chapter, or, uh, verse 13 there It's because a lot of times this is what'll happen if you if you ignore the Lord long enough. (laughs) It's like he he'll 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 gently rebuke you and gently show you that you're yeah you're drifting in the sin you're drifting in idolatry and and it gets and then gets to a point where he kind of turns you over to it for a little bit and then guess what'll happen he'll send something in your life that that'll be a terror and what will you do you'll call upon the name of the Lord. Because you're like, uh oh, oh yeah, I've gotten away, I'm in trouble here. And usually what happens is he'll give you a little bit of time on your own. Just like in verse thirteen. So so he's calling upon Israel, and they will not listen. They are hardening their hearts against his word and his law. And so when terror came, they called upon him, and guess what he said? I would not listen. And so that's a terrifying thing. And there's been many times that's happened to me where I get into worldliness, I get my heart hardened and deceived by sin. And then something comes along, and I'm like, oh, 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 I'm in trouble. Where am I going to go? I need to go to the Lord. And He's like, yeah, well, we'll let you, let you go. No, go to your worldliness for a little while. Turn to one of those idols that are useless, and see how that works out for you. But then eventually, God's grace, He will to His believers. But there's nothing worse than that than when you get, when you get away from Him, and then all of a sudden you want Him and need Him, and He'll let you go without Him for a while. And that's, that's a real miserable days to me. Yeah. But then you know, I just like, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Never do it again. Never, you know how it is. Never do it again. Never. And you really don't want to do it again. But the more you go through that process, the more you realize when you start to drift down that hill in the worldliness, you're like, oh, I remember where this goes. Every time it'll go. If you get yourself wrapped up into all the old stuff that you've been, that you're kind of working out of. This process will happen again and again. And he'll bring more things into your life to make your life miserable until you get the point. It's like we saw in Haggai in Psalm 39. All right, Psalm 66, 17, and 18. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard wickedness, wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So that kind of ties into what we're talking about with Zechariah 7, 13, where if, if you are... If you're regarding wickedness or worldliness or if you've got idols in your heart, the Lord won't hear you. And so whatever you're praying for, if if your heart is more, if your heart is set towards something else, you have higher priorities than the Lord, you can pray all you want, but it just says what it says. He's not going to hear you. (laughs) Hey, nobody here. There was one time the pastor Faith had me read that in Sunday school a while back, and it just stuck with me. He just said, "I didn't know that was there," and I just read it. I'm like, "If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord would I hear?" So if you're if you're loving sin, you're, you're wasting your time praying. It's probably how we if you're loving sin, you're wasting your time praying. All right, we'll take a break until. So yeah, we were. Uh, Psalm 66, 17, 18. So, yeah, that's how the Lord will work if he could if get away from me long enough. Oh, no, wait a minute. We're on Psalm 66. Sorry. But, yes, if you have wickedness or idolatry in your heart, your prayers to him are not heard. You might as well repent first and then pray. All right, but, yeah, I was saying that the pa- Pastor Faith had me read that in Sunday school one time, and that really did stick with me. That if you if your heart's not set towards him, he uh, you don't count on your prayers being answered. But if your heart is set towards him, it really is amazing, because first off, if you if you really are walking with him by the Spirit, and you're obedient to him, and your mind's on him, you know, pretty much continuously, you're thanking him continuously, rejoicing him continuously, and you're really eagerly seeking him, then you're you're what you want, or be lined up with what he wants. And then if, you're, if what you want is lined up with what he wants, then you'll get what you want every time. Because he loves to bring, I heard somebody say this the other day, he, you know, he loves to bring glory to himself in answering the prayers of his children and saving people. If you guys, you know, we all have people we want saved. If you're genuinely praying and obeying, and when, not only when you pray, you, want, you get to the point where you pray and you want to believe that you're you know, you prayer it's called praying with faith. Is that you know the Bible does say that you believe what you have. You want to pray in a sense in such a way that you're confident that the Lord's gonna answer it. Now it's not a formula saying name it and claim it and all that garbage that people preach, but it is a there's a clear command to to pray with an expectation that the Lord will answer it. But it has to be the right motive, it has to be according to his will. But if you're but if you're living in blatant sin or idolatry, then your you, what you want won't be lined up with what he wants anyway. And if you are asking for something, he's going to wait until you he cleans you up before he answers you. All right. So our what should our response be then? So we've had the problem of getting our priorities off, and then God's response, how he deals with that, and now our proper response should be. I got three sets of scriptures here. Matthew six thirty one through 33. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And so our priority should not be about what are we going to eat, what are we going to drink. And those are just two examples of a million things that you can get your mind set upon worrying about. Where you first, your priority first needs to be the Lord and His kingdom, and then guess what? He'll provide all those things that you need anyway, and it'll be with a lot less effort. When you're, I've learned this from so many experiences. When you're genuinely seeking the Lord, your mind set upon the Lord, your trust is in the Lord, you're you're living with a daily presence of Him in your mind. All those things are just done. He just gets them done. But if you're, if you're more concerned with that. Like oh man, I got tax work to do. Oh man, Lord, I'd love to spend time praying, you know, and everything like that. I got so much to do. Watch how hard it is, mm-hmm. you know. It's just it, it, That's how that works. That you just have to realize, you know. Just always remember who the God is that you're dealing with here. Is he all? He, he just beyond. He has all the power over all creation. He knows everything. He owns everything. He can do whatever he wants. He can provide you in any way he wants to, and so to worry really is kind of an absurdity if you're a child of his. It's it's a sin because you're you're showing that you don't trust in his provision. So that's the that's the proper response is to seek his kingdom first and don't worry too much about the other things. And that's why you know this could even include dieting and things. And I know I struggle with this, and we all struggle with that. We're you know, talk about, well, should we, you know, eat so many vitamins and all this? Yeah, it's okay to be reasonable about it, but it just says what it says. Don't worry too much about what you eat. You just eat, and you know, and, but seek first the kingdom of God. He's the one who sustains your body anyway. Again, I'm not saying gluttony is a sin and everything else, you know, just disregard, because gluttony is idolatry. So you're going the other way, but, but you don't want to worry overly too much about it. All right, Joel 2, 12 through 13. This is the Old Testament. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. And so there is always the response when you drift away from the Lord and you start to realize that is, you're, he's chasing you and you're under his wrath in a sense is the answer is repent return to him with all your heart and, and he'll make it for a believer the experience of my life is that and I think it's the experience of everybody's life eventually as a Christian is that he'll make it miserable enough so you will return with all your heart but you can learn quickly that this is this is the response you want to have as fast as you can to realize the futility of idolatry to return to him with all your heart and and just again you have to everything that you have you just return to him with and serve him with everything you have the two number one commandments jesus says love the lord your god with all your heart mind and soul love your neighbor but the first commandment is love your love the lord your god with all your heart mind and soul but it says the second half there it says for He is gracious and compassionate and so when you do if you get sidetrack which we all do and even if you get into a pretty bad sidetrackness he'll bring you back he's gracious and compassionate and he he's slow to anger and he's above it he's abounding in loving kindness and he will relent of, of the evil here would be the chastening that you're under Whenever you repent return, and there's times when I've I've told you I felt helpless as a Christian because I realized you know I'm just like this is hopeless. But when when you return with all your heart to Him, He wipes out all that stuff. You all of a sudden your hope comes back. He'll make sure that you're hopeless until you return. Again, this is a return of your heart, and this is I'm not saying this is any easy thing either because the daily distractions, the temptations of the world, temptations of demons, temptations of your unredeemed flesh. There are it's an ongoing process. But it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort. And the biggest temptation or biggest lie deception is that you think, well, I've got too many other things to do. And that's why you can't serve the Lord. I know. You're a busy <laughs> bee like me, a triple A uh, personality, and I'm the same way, but you learn he'll make it futile. Yeah. He will make it futile eventually. Mm-hmm. Talking about Jesus. Wait, well, come on me? in. Yes, we are, but you can. <laughs> yes. Do you want to the room? He will return his grace to your life when you repent and return. And it's interesting how uh, I was doing a little bit of studying on, she's doing a project on Zephaniah in, in her uh, school. And I was just reading through that because she's asking for a little bit of help. And and there's there's such a correlation with how God deals with Israel as a nation in the Old Testament, how he deals with the individual believer. Because you can apply all of that, and that's what we're reading. We're reading Joel. He's, he's, he's talking to Israel, the, the nation. But you can see the clear, direct application to each individual Christian. And so, but he will do that as well. He will do all the things we're talking about individually as we've talked about many times. He's going to deal with Israel as a nation again. And they will eventually repent and return to him with all their heart, every last one of them at the end of the tribulation. And he will he will show his loving kindness, gracious salvation to the entire nation of Israel when he... Individually, yet simultaneously regenerates all of them at the same time at the end of the tribulation period. There's always a good correlation to know that. All right, and finally, Zechariah one three. Therefore say to them, see again, this is Zechariah the prophet speaking to Israel. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And so that's, there's the only answer, and I've heard, this, I've heard preachers say this many times, that 99% of the answers for the Christian distress is repent, return, your heart's somewhere else. And now it doesn't mean that if you're walking with him, that you're not going to have trials, because you will. And he promises that. But you will have the joy in the midst of the trials. You'll have the peace in the midst of the trials. You won't have that distress of the heart. The distress of the heart usually is, like I said, either either spiritual spiritual self reliance or sin, idolatry, and that is conquered by repentance. And you could be in the in the externally have all kinds of nightmares going on around you, and unbelievable, uh, you know, feel like your schedule is overloaded. But if you genuinely are, your heart is set towards the Lord, you'd be amazed how peaceful He makes it, because you realize that He'll take care of these things. And it's futile to think that you can take care of without him. So the answer is always repent. And it's a daily thing for the Christian. But as a habit, I want you all to get more and more and more and more just to kind of ask yourself through the day, all right, where is my heart? Yeah. I got a big sticker on my folder and my grass-cut things that where's my heart? There's sometimes I look at it and I don't want to look at it because yeah. I know. I'm like, oh, it's not there. It's not right. <clears throat> and there's other times I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm glad I looked at it because I was kind of getting a little drifty. And then there's other times I'm like, "Yes, my heart is right. That's a good thing. Good thing. Remind that." So there, I, I know if I'm looking at a sticker, and I'm going, "Oh, I'm going, I know I got a problem." Yeah. And the problem's going to be dealt with one way or the other. I know that. I usually put that radio station on and do it out, and that always does it for me. Yeah. 105.9. And that is good. That is good for us all to have. Like if I get in the car from work or whatever and I turn it on it reminds me yeah, so, yeah. I mean I do like talk radio but I keep that on when I when yeah I, it is better to do that than, than even I, a lot of the a lot of the worldly a lot of the talk radio is you know I'm not saying there's anything wrong politics and all that stuff but that's right. yeah right. That's you, if you want hopelessness then go there yeah I was going to say if you want craziness that's where you go it really is and that's why I just thank the Lord that I, that our hope is not in politics. It yeah. should not be, and a lot of Christians get wrapped up in politics as if the solution to any problem is Republicans, Democrats, or whatever. Now, I'm not saying it's not a, you know important thing, but the, the only thing that can make any really difference in anybody's life is the gospel. The only weapon the church has to make any real impact on the heart is the gospel. That is to unbelievers that. That you're at, you're an enemy with God any unbeliever is born everybody's born in sin we love the sin we're born in and then we are in rebellion against the Lord and there's going to be eternal consequences for that and so the, the issue of salvation is the forgiveness of sins if you die without having your sins forgiven you'll wish for all of eternity that you did you know that's the priority yet even beyond that the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of the relationship with the Lord with God is you receive the indwelling Holy Spirit, privilege beyond belief, and you have a relationship with the true and living God now. You know you have it now, and that's what we're talking about here. But that's the only solution to, to the hatred that goes on in the heart for racism, immigrant whatever problem there is that you're talking about, is that the solution is the gospel. But we you know my saying like I said, I want the right I vote, I do the things, but but I know that the that my hope is not in Donald Trump. My hope is not in Nancy Pelosi? No, not in her for sure. But it's in the Lord Jesus Christ that he will return and he will rule the government. He will there will be an actual government that he will rule. It says that. The government will be on him, his shoulders. Talks about uh when I remember, Micah, I think, where he talks about it. And unto you a child will be born and the government will rest upon his shoulders. We haven't seen that yet, but when he returns, he will. There will be a literal thousand-year kingdom where he will run a government from Israel, and there will be a world. There will be the world like we are now, except much better—not perfect, but it'll be much better. We'll be glorified, so we'll be sinless, and so that'll be the way it should be. Now there will still be sin, and there will still be rebellion from the unconverted people who enter into the kingdom and their children. Will be unconverted until they believe, but you'll see how a leader should be when he returns. And until then, it's it's just I think I can't remember what Mark Carter said on that Daily Report show or that show with uh, Ben Shapiro, where it's just like you are basically just putting band aids on yeah. a lot of things. I mean, you got to you you want to you want the best government you can have. You don't want wicked government. But you all realize it's just temporal restraint of the of a fallen civil world uh, that is hopeless until the return of Christ ultimately. But the Lord still rules over now, and so so. But our trust is in Him. again you know, the our priority needs to be the Lord every day, and that is a struggle. And all here's the struggle. I'll tell you what a struggle is: is this. It's that, <laughs> yeah. that is, I'm telling you, it is, it is. It, I heard, I think mean, it was MacArthur saying this, it might have been somebody else saying that it is incredible, might have been James White, incredible, the temptation that is, that is accessible to you, anywhere, you, you carry it around on your phone and everything else, again, yes, you can, it can use it for good, yeah. or, but it can certainly even, it can be really, really distractive to a Christian, and sometimes I'm, I have my best days, when I just turn it off and I don't watch it. We, we got rid of our cable, and so we got limited. I don't have it downstairs anymore, and I got it just in the room. And I'm not saying, I'm not being legalistic, but you'd be amazed if you turn it off for a while and you just start reading scriptures and, and praying, you're, you'll have a lot more joy than you would at the end of the day than if you watched eight ball games or eight football games like I do sometimes. Yes, all that, so. All right, well, thank you for joining us. And until next time, we'll be back in loop. Praise the Lord.